perfect peace, Lord Father, that you set before us for greater purpose and plans. And we thank you for this tithes and offerings. We thank you for your people that continue, Lord Father, to sow into the ground, that you will just bless them. And we thank you, Lord Father, that you'll expand their territory. And we thank you for this kingdom, Lord Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Mm. Amen. And Pastor Mike. Yeah. It's your turn now. Amen. Bless you. Good morning. How are we all today? Very good. (laughs) Great to have you in church, Peter. I always know when you're here, we should clone you. And uh, amen. (laughs) It's great to have you in church. Who'd rather be in church than the best hospital in Armadale? Yeah. Uh, It's great to have Steve in church. Um, As you can see, Steve has lost uh, quite a few kilos. So we are very grateful to the Lord. He's still with us. He had a very, very rough time. So we do thank Jesus that he's back and well and got a very well wife next to me as well so we give thanks for that as well so praise God so father we do thank you and praise you that you are our king you are our lord you are our master you are our healer lord you are our banker lord you are our accountant lord you are our companion you are our friend lord father you are our lover we thank you Jesus for all of this and lord we do pray lord that uh, you just be with us today in a very special way lord speak to hearts in the name of Jesus amen Amen. Well, we've been on a series that's been very topically based on issues that, uh, you know, people tend to face um, on a a day-to-day basis. Often churches are accused of preaching sermons that no one's interested in. So this has been a series, we're almost at the end of it, where we are trying to deal with things that you and I and most other people struggle with. And one of the biggies in life is... um, sex and so this is a Sunday morning meeting and so I want to give you a little bit of a review of what the Bible teaches about sex. The Bible actually has a great deal to say about it but it's naturally going to be definitely rated PG. I'm not wanting to be embarrassed myself and I'm not wanting to embarrass anybody else here but we are wanting to see what the Bible talks about something that's actually quite significant to many of us, and it's often the unseen battle in uh, many of our lives. It's the elephant in the room that uh, can often be very dominating in terms of our uh, imagination, our desires, what defines us. So is that okay? Is that good? So I'm going to teach you everything I know about sex, and that will take about 30 seconds. Good. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, and we'll just uh, take one scripture here and uh, then we'll spring into a PowerPoint and uh, try and um, cover most of the material pretty well. You got uh, Proverbs? Proverbs 5, and pick it up at verse 15. Uh, one of the things that uh, when we come to the Bible, we often read it as a modern Westerner rather than as a Hebrew of a couple of hundred years ago and they read things very differently to us and what they use is picture language they don't often say it outright directly they use a euphemism to discuss things that are perhaps sensitive as Australians we do that a lot 
Uh, usually with euphemisms like, for example, when you go to the toilet. What do you say to someone when you want to go to the toilet? Does anyone here says here, I want to go to the toilet? I say, I want to go to the little boy's room. That's what I say. But, you know, there are all sorts of things that people say. I want to go check the plumbing. I want to go water the horse. You know, I want to, they say all sorts of things, don't they? You know, I want to find the potty. You know, they're not looking for a potty really. But they're using what's known as picture language or euphemism so we're not embarrassed by something which, uh, by saying it directly. So the Bible is full of euphemisms, particularly about sex. And here's one, a classic in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. So let me tell you that the context is sex. Okay, so when it says drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well, it's not talking about the plumbing. Okay, it is talking about sex. So drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow into the streets, your streams of water into the public squares? The answer to that question is no. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer, and we will stop there. Uh, So... Uh, the Bible does say a lot about sex, and so we're going to run through this. So, uh, first slide, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Whose idea was sex anyway? You want to have a guess? It was actually God's idea, wasn't it? God created the idea of sex. So, um, I reckon, apart from salvation, sex was the best sex idea ever God ever had. <laughs> So next slide, thank you. God and then. But the sexual landscape has very much changed. I can remember once having a visitor from Malaysia come and uh, come to Australia for the very first time. So I would, I thought I'd be nice and show him a little bit of Perth. So I put him in my motor car and we drove down to Scarborough Beach. I was going to take him for a nice meal at the smorgasbord there. And as we're going down above... All these girls are walking past and this Malaysian Christian man, a, a, a minister of the gospel, was flabbergasted, absolutely flabbergasted because he saw things in Australia that you don't see in Malaysia. So the landscape has very much changed, hasn't it? I'm finding it even difficult these days to read the bumper stickers on some cars. You know, you walk into your local gift shop and when you get past the happy birthday cards, it's amazing what you'll find. Uh, you'll find all sorts of paraphernalia which are blatant, that are crude, that are rude. Things from uh, I, T-shirts that will say, I'm a virgin, this is an old T-shirt. Uh, and it goes on and on that wherever you go, we now live in what's technically known as the raunch culture. That it's actually cool now to actually be out there in terms of our sexuality. That's where our Culture has shifted, hasn't it? Am I telling you the truth? Just look at a billboard. Just pick up a Clio. Just look at what's on the advertising in the TV and you will know that we now live in a highly sexualized world. And sadly, on top of that, that is now coming down to be pitched at younger and younger levels. You know, the way that now that you will see 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds now dressing you think, whatever happened to playing with your Barbie dolls? Being a girl, being a boy at a certain age. 
So the sexual landscape has changed dramatically. They say that the sexual revolution has taken place, but with every revolution there are casualties. And today those casualties are turning up in our jails, in our mental health units, in the abortion clinics, in the STD clinics. There are many casualties as a result of what we call the free love. The movement of the 70s, my parents, yes, my parents, moved into that age where there was sexual freedom and mores, and today my generation and the generation below us are suffering the consequences of that, where now, if you go to a typical school and you ask the question, is anybody in this school actually got a mum and dad living at home, the same mum and dad for the whole time, that is now a, sadly, an exception, isn't it? And part of that has been this liberation, this uh, uh, move towards sex becoming such a defining mark in our society. Next slide. Thank you. So that's... Well, did God did invent sex. We're glad about that. Let's just click down through the points. Thanks. God knew about Adam's need. This is very interesting. If you go to Genesis chapter... Just click all the points through. Thanks. Um, Adam is there and uh, he's actually having a pretty, pretty good time in the garden. It's paradise. No sin, no selfishness, no sickness, paradise, garden, no thorns, no mosquitoes. This is a nice place, wonderful. And then, um, and God says it was good, it was really good. And then he brings Adam to a place where Adam has been given this job where he's got to name the animals and... uh, Two giraffe come out, he calls them giraffes. Aren't you glad about that? I'd be very confused. Two elephants, two beavers, two fish, two canaries. I don't know. After a while, Adam being a man, started to figure out two, 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 two. He suddenly figured out one. And so God was interested in awakening within the man, Adam, a knowledge of the fact that he was alone. This is a very important point to pick because in his, uh, he was in a perfect environment and yet God saw that he needed something else. He needed a partner. He needed a counterpart. He needed someone to complete who he was. And so, you know, it's a very normal thing then for us to actually desire to have that significant other in our life. We are made for that. There are some people who are gifted with the gift of celibacy. It's one of the gifts. There's about 28 gifts in the Bible if you want to go through and do the inventory. And one of those gifts is the gift of celibacy. But most people do not have that. When I do my Bible college uh, teaching, I often lead them through a, a... inventory where they actually have to find out what their gift is and they're going through it, going through it, going through it. And, you know, some kind of, oh, I've got a teacher, you know, I've a prophet, I've got an intercession gift, I've got a mercy gift. They're always terrified that they come out with the celibacy gift. <laughs> no one has ever got that one yet. So we were made to be involved with a significant other who completes us. And God was involved with educating Adam that you need someone else 
Wholeness is about you needing someone else that will teach you how not to be selfish. Not to be happy, but to teach you how not to be selfish. And God creates this need within Adam. Then God incompletes Adam, creates Eve to be the counterpart. And like the jigsaws, the male and the female. And then sex is the thing that God made that welds people together. And when you allow that to happen, it becomes actually a very strong bond. But do you know what happens if you weld something together and you break that weld and you try and weld it back together again? You might be able to do it the second time, maybe the third time, but every time that weld gets formed and it's broken, your capacity to actually stick and bond with another person is being severely damaged. So this is a big headline right now. Every time we have sex with another individual and we break that bond, our capacity to stick is being damaged. God created it so that that first bond holds together for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, 50, 60, through the good times and the bad times. You know, this may come as a great shock to some of you, but I'm not always the easiest person to live with. So we need commitment and covenant. And we live in such an option society today that none of us want to make a choice because the moment you make a choice, you're saying no to everything else. We're so used to having a smorgasbord we go into the smorgasbord these days and it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. I am not going to go and commit myself to the curry alone because there's other stuff I want to have. Marriage is about saying I commit myself to one person forever and the same time you're actually saying no to everybody else. And that's important. It's really important because the moment you allow others into your life, then you will find that the bond, the thing that will keep you together in harmony and unity through the thick and the thin of life is getting broken and damaged. And if you've been around in youth ministry for a while, somewhere along the way you would have had a very good youth pastor give you the old illustration with a piece of sticky tape or a piece of paper where they stick the two pieces of paper together and they ask you then in the little exercise, can you, ta- can you take those pieces of paper apart? You can't, not without tearing, not without great damage. The moment you tear those apart, damage starts to be exposed to the system. Can you stick them back together? It gets harder and harder every time that there's an experiment with sexuality. Okay, so it was God's idea. Aren't you glad for God? And there's next one. Okay, oh, sorry about that. Some relationships are just wrong, okay? (laughs) I'm sorry. I just thought it would be a lighter moment for you. (laughs) Next one. Uh, God's Sex Manual. Uh, It's the Bible, would you believe? The B-I-B-L-E, the book for me. This Bible says, believe, believe it or not, most people out in the world will tend to say that this Bible condemns sex, says you're not allowed to have sex. This book actually says have sex over and over again, have lots and lots of sex and have more sex over and over again. That's what that book actually says. 
It's true. It's true. It does say how you have it and where you have it and all those sorts of things. It's meant to be a one flesh relationship. It's the place for intimacy. Man, here's the news for ladies. Men need sex for intimacy. That's what the girls don't know. And boys, this is what you don't know. Women need intimacy for sex. So there's a lot of psychology just in that very short statement. May you be wise. And ultimately, God has designed the one flesh relationship that we call marriage as a place for children. The best place for a child to ever grow up is in one home with a loving father and a loving mother. That's the best. For companionship, so you can actually share a sunset together. You can actually share a nice cup of latte, you know, down on the uh, Blue Duck Tavern over Cottesloe watching the sunrise. Um, and completeness. Having that other person in your life will somehow complete you and make you whole. Um, it, it is amazing how opposites tend to attract each other. You don't really want two phlegmatic people in the one relationship, do you? You don't really want two choleric people in the same relationship. You don't want two dominant people in one relationship. It is great how we tend to pair off and find the complement to who we are. So next one. Thank you. The Bible does claim some blatantly clear ideas about sex and it talks about virtually everything. Seriously, virtually everything. Some of the stuff in the Bible I can't read out in church. But it's in the book, the Songs of Solomon. Um, in the Hebrew culture, they used to advise the men not to read the Songs of Solomon until after they were 30 and married. Uh, us Westerners tend to read it and think, I don't get all the pomegranates and the apples. And, you know, I had a friend of mine back in Bible college, his name was Bill. He used to read to his wife, Gail, from the Book of Solomons, you know, thinking it was romantic. But, you know, your teeth are like, you know, the ivory tower. You know, your neck is like the Tower of Lebanon, you know. <laughs> your teeth are like sheep on a hill. Um, don't think it worked very much. <laughs> but if you know how to read in a Hebrew mindset, this is a very blatantly erotic book. And you want to... Ask God, why did you put an R-rated book in the Bible? That's because God doesn't have a problem with it in the context of marriage. He invented it and it says it's there to be enjoyed. It's one of the good things that we've made. Now, the Bible does mention everything with some notable exceptions. And I'm not going to mention those notable exceptions because we're here on a Sunday and whatever. But can I say, here's a rule that's very useful. What... The Bible has no opinion about, maybe we should have no opinion about it either. Let me say it another way. If the Bible is quiet about something, maybe we should be quiet about it. Go, hmm, hmm, maybe later research, okay? Because the Bible is very clear about some things. Thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou do all these sorts of things. But there are other things the Bible says nothing about. Maybe if it's not a big deal to God, maybe it shouldn't be a big deal to us. You're looking at me a bit strange. Does it make sense? Okay. 
Okay, it mentions everything. Even Proverbs 30, verse 18, you know, here's again in a very Hebrew sense, it's looking at comparisons going on. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, for I do not know. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on the rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Very, very clear imageries going on here just in this one passage. But it's all the way through the Bible. In fact, I don't understand this. But when Paul is searching for a picture that we could understand of what it's going to be like when we die and meet Jesus, he picked sex as a picture of what that's going to be like. I mean, I can't believe that. He would pick that as a picture that it will be so wonderful, so joyful that nothing else will ever matter when we meet Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. It's a Bible image, Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to check on. Next slide. Okay. This is very important. Man has one switch. Women, I'm still trying to figure that one out. (laughs) There are just a few knobs to play with. (laughs) The male brain, sex, sex, the TV remote control addiction center, the crouch scratching scratching area, lame excuses gland, (laughs) domestic skills is very small. (laughs) That's the male brain. The female brain is need for commitment. <laughs> Don't you know, Gary? <laughs> Jealousy. Shoe center. Very big for the ladies. Ladies, what is it about you and shoes? <laughs> I just love shoes. I don't know about that. So male and females are They are different, aren't they? Very different, okay, at all times. Uh, Next slide. So, vive la différence. The male probably tends to think like this. I'm prepared to be committed to this relationship so long as you care for me like my mother, be available for my sexual pleasure, raise my children, and I'll reciprocate by provision and protection. That's the thinking of the average male coming into a relationship. Okay. Female, I'm prepared to be committed to this relationship if you talk with me, if you love me, if you're kind to me in return for my care and attention. Can you see there's a little bit of a gap between those two worldviews? That's why we need God and grace for a relationship to reach great harmony and synergy as we work together. The man tends to be more self-centered, which is why when God says, what's something that I can really help a man to understand how much he's actually got to love his wife? Uh, He might get this. You've got to love your wife as much as you love yourself, (laughs) as you love your own body. That's that's, that's how much you've got to love your wife. Oh, okay. I'll get, yeah, okay. Got, Got that one. I think it's fascinating that the Bible never, ever commands a woman, a wife, to love a husband. It's assumed through Scripture, just assumed. But a woman is often commanded to respect and honor their husband. It would seem that women are naturally wired in a way to actually love, to give affection, 
to that significant male in their life, but they're not naturally wired to be careful of how they speak to their husband. I think that's interesting. But I've never but men are commanded by God. Love your wife. Ta-da! It's a command. To Hosea, he was actually says, Go and show your love to your wife. That's not taking out the marriage certificate and saying, I married you twenty years ago. <laughs> you know, proved it. I come home, I mow the lawn. You are meant to display your love. And girls, here's a tip. If you can find a boy in church that really can love God in their worship, you know, they can raise their hands, they can shout, they can dance, and they're being expressive with their love for God, they're going to be a good one. Next one. Thank you. Here we go. Wife wanted, rich, beautiful, and obedient. Why lie? I want beer. Can I tell you the truth? When they're saying to you, I love you, that one beer or something else. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> What's the girl's one? <laughs> we'll see where we go. I may not get out alive today. Next one. Next slide. Okay. Big graph. But what it basically is saying is that men and female, as you build your relationship, you progress to different zones at different times. So ideally, relationships are meant to begin with friendship. It's really good if you like the person. That's a, it comes in really handy. It is a very helpful thing to do. That you start off as acquaintances, see, acquaintance, acquaintance, casual arrangement, casual arrangement. That's good. Everyone's on the same page still. Close, yes, close. Everybody's still on the same page. Intimate friend, intimate friend. Yes, you've gone onto Facebook and you've now listed, I'm in a relationship now. Okay, you've got to that level of commitment. But then the man moves, the man moves from friendship immediately into the physical zone because he has testosterone. Is that not right, honey? Are you, whatever it used to be anyway, testosterone. Okay. Men have got testosterone. A young boy's going through puberty. Listen, girls, have pity on them. Their testosterone goes up 600%. Not 6%. Not 60%. 600%. I mean, it is scary. Absolutely scary. So uh, an adolescent male will be thinking of sex almost every 60 seconds if they're not doing something else. It's a real deal for the boys to work through. Okay, so the man then wants to say, maybe she'll hold my hand. Maybe I can just touch her. Um, but the girl's not there yet. She actually doesn't go from friendship to physical. She goes from friendship to emotional. Okay, boys, you know emotional? Okay. <laughs> so she begins to long for him, miss him. He wants to kiss her now. Oh, she touched me now. Maybe I can now touch lips. Maybe I can do some serious face sucking. <laughs> I remember this stuff. <laughs> She's now crying vaguely. <laughs> then, she, then he wants to caress. Then she wants to be defensive and protect the relationship. She's now getting jealous. And he's now attracted to her, ha- wants to have babies, and she just wants to be committed. Can you see there's a problem here? 
So when the boy is kissing the girl, they're not on the same planet. The boy is thinking, this is really nice. I wonder what more I can enjoy physically. Where the girl's saying, he wants to marry me and live forever after with me. That's a problem. So it's really important that you actually do this stuff God's way, otherwise you will get hurt. It will blow up in your face and there will be tears. It will end in tears. So next slide. Okay, warning. The following slide shows a graphic picture of the body's largest sex organ. Okay? Close your eyes. Believe it or not, that's absolutely the truth. It's all in here. If you've got gender confusion issues, if you've got fetish issues, if you've got anything, it's all about the way you've programmed your mind. It's all about your early exposure, your early modeling, and then what you then have associated those pleasure zones in your life with. It's a programming issue, and it can be reprogrammed and brought back into something which is holistic. It's not a sexual addiction anymore. You can actually have freedom in this area. Chains can fall off, and you can live in freedom and enjoy it the way God intended it for it to happen. Next slide. The golden rule applies even in the bedroom. Thank you. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. And when it comes to the whole issue of appetite, because sometimes appetite can change or vary between partners. There's no right or wrong. Some people get hungry quicker and faster than others. And uh, others are less hungry than others. But in the same way, if you had someone who was not hungry, it would be cruel and unkind to force feed them. That's not loving, is it? In the same way, if someone is really hungry and starving, it would be cruel not to actually feed them if you had the capacity to feed them. Feed them. Feed them. Feed them. So. So again, the rule of love applies. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And love makes the effort to compromise. Love finds a way to actually be a servant to your significant other, your partner, your husband, your wife. I'd love to get rid of the word partner. <coughs> it's a bit like, you know, Tonto and Lone Ranger. He's my partner. <laughs> I'm proud to have a wife after 35 years. One wife, yeah. Fantastic. Next slide. Time's almost gone. Christian sex. Here's a fact. I like this one. Sexually active persons before marriage are 60% more likely to divorce than those who wait till after marriage. Go. Oh. Oh, pass the mic. True. Who wants, if you move into a relationship, for it to last? If you're in a relationship, would you like it to last? Okay, I'm, I'm, some may need prayer, all right. Here's the truth. Those who experiment sexually before they get married will have a harder job staying married. It's the truth. Statistically proven. This whole idea before you try, before you buy, will ruin your ability to stay stuck and committed to a relationship. Fact number two. The married have the most sex, not the young and the footloose. 
So if you really like sex, why don't you get married? It's a good way to do it. Next fact. Conservative Christians report a better sex lives than all other groups. <laughs> I'm proud of you guys. <laughs> but it's true. When they do all the surveys, those who go to church and love God, instead of being, you know, let more, they actually have it better than the people out there. So isn't that good news? You're not certain. <laughs> it's very good news. So I think we've got our final slide almost. Okay, if we saw a bottle on the shelf and it had poison on it, um, it would probably have a label on it that would say a number of things, like, uh, do not uh, leave in the presence of children. You know, this medicine is not for children. Uh, it would probably say things like, uh, please use in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions. We, we understand that with medicine, don't we? We wouldn't leave something dangerous around that's not, uh, not healthy for children. Neither would we take it and simply use it the way that we'd want. We'd want to say that this medicine could actually do me a lot of good if it's properly used. And here's the incredible truth, friends. If we did sex the way that this book here tells us to do sex, there'd be no abortions, there'd be no rape, There'd be no AIDS. There'd be no sexually transmitted diseases. There'd be no unwanted pregnancies. There'd be less suicide, less breakdown, less mental health. How much pain would we save ourselves and society if we simply did what the manufacturer said we should do? He made it. He designed it. It's wonderful. But he says, this is the safe way to do it. This is the best way to do it, not to be given for children and follow the instructions. And when we fail to follow the instructions, how much harm do we do with ourselves and do to our society? In 1988, uh, the king of Thailand, uh, if you're Thai, please excuse my accent. Uh, my Thai is, apart from Sawadee Ka, I can't do much, but his name was King Bombibol. And uh, he's now the longest reigning regent on the earth today. He just celebrated his 85th birthday. But 1988, he celebrated uh, his birthday and it was part of the king's prerogative because we don't live in a monarchy really anymore. We live in this strange thing here in Australia. And uh, as a part of the king's birthday, he's very much loved and respected. He thought that he'd give a, <clears throat> a boon of grace to the Thai society. And so what he did was he thought that he would actually release from the prisons of Thailand about 30,000 long-standing prisoners as an act of grace. What a, what a nice thing to do. That sounds like a wonderful thing for a king to do, to say to people incarcerated in prison, you are now free, all is forgiven, go off and enjoy your life. That sounds like a wonderful thing, doesn't it? Sadly, what happened was is that Within the Thai prison system, there was a high level of uh, HIV AIDS spread amongst the prisoners, mainly because of the use of um, intravenous needles. They were sharing needles in jail. So of the 30,000 that were released into the population, most of them now had HIV and AIDS. 
So just before the release, the amount of AIDS within the general population in Thailand was about 2%. After the release of the prisoners into the environment, the large environment, it quickly spread into the area of prostitution and the prostitution then actually then moved into the broader community. And by about 1994, 582,000 people had died as a result of AIDS. And a similar number of people, another half a million people on top of that, were now HIV infected. What an incredible tragedy that a king wanting to bless his people and set people free actually unlaunched onto his society death and destruction. That was not the intent of the king. It was a good king, a wonderful king. But in letting those people free and them actually tripping across the boundaries of appropriate behaviour has led to death and destruction. Fortunately, the Thai government has introduced uh, some measures and that's they're clawing back now. But Thailand, for one stage, was incredibly uh, infected by the HIV situation. You know, AIDS is called an acquired immune deficiency syndrome. AIDS, it's an acronym. Let me give you another acronym. Every human being has an acquired, inherited disobedience syndrome. Human beings outside of their relationship with Jesus Christ are chronically disobedient. We actually don't want to come under God's authority. Outside of Christ, where we can legitimately say, He is Lord, Lord of all, we sang Cornerstone, great anthem. But it's one thing to sing that. It's another thing to actually have that operating in your life, that He is Lord. You hear what I'm saying? That you actually move from overt disobedience, God, I want to do my own thing, into now, God, help me to be one who is obedient to my King and my God. And Jesus Christ came to the earth to be the one who actually fulfilled all the requirements of obedience to actually cover our disobedience. So here's this incredible opportunity that we have, is that we can stay as rebels. Most people look at sin as the acts of sin. You know, I lied, I had a bad thought, I cheated, I did this They're the acts of sin. The real problem goes down to the root, underneath the surfaces where we are rebels and we do not want to submit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Effectively, what we say is, God, shove off. We may actually use even something worse than that, but God, shove off. I want to run my own life. I want to be God. I want to be my own Lord. I want to be my own King. I'll make up my mind as to the way I'll run my life. And that, is that will take us to a lost eternity and to a very unhappy and a very selfish and a very narrow life. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ so loved the world that he wants to change that, that no one should perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Here's our opportunity this morning, is that we can say, Lord, we can say, Lord, Lord, we can say, Lord. You are a boss. You are our king. Be Lord over my sexuality. Be Lord over my finances. Be Lord over all my areas. But I submit unto you. So I wonder if you might just bow your heads and we'll just close in prayer. Time has come.
Father, this is a, a difficult and a touchy subject, but Lord, one that brings, Lord, a great deal of pleasure and a great deal of pain. Lord, I do pray for those that are here today whose lives have been badly damaged, Lord, because of sexual sin, sexual temptation, sexual confusion. Lord, it can be so dominating that it's like the glasses that we wear. It's the filter by which we see everything. Lord, it affects every relationship, affects the way that we move in the, in the room, affects, Lord, our, what we think at night. And Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that the chains would come off, that, Lord, there would come liberty, freedom, and purity. Lord, there is no condemnation. Lord, that's not what we're about here today. It's about freedom and liberty as we align ourselves with your plan, Lord, in these areas. So, God, I pray that you'd set everybody free who needs a miracle in this area in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. And just before you go, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, if you've not yet taken that first step to place your trust in him as the one who will lead your life, guide your life, uh, operate your life, give you the direction for your life, if you've not yet done that, then I would love to speak with you before you leave this building. And so I am going to actually go and wait over there by that door. See that door over there? And if you'd like to come over, talk with me in a chat. I'd love to take 10, 15 minutes just to talk with you, get to know you, and answer any questions that you may have. But it's really important that if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you don't leave this place here without having an opportunity to invite him to come and live in your life. Is that okay? Fantastic. All right, let's have the band up. Thanks, guys. And we'll have a happy song to close with. And if you do need prayer for some reason, we're going to have our prayer team out the front at the end of the service. And we do ask you to just come and uh, make yourself available. We'll pray with you and believe God for a miracle. We see God do incredible things week after week after week here through the ministry that takes place here. It's a great thing. And if you're, um, if you're not wanting prayer, then please feel free to leave the building afterwards and uh, just allow us to wait upon God.